So this morning, because it's Palm Sunday, we're going to hit fast forward and jump ahead to John chapter 12. And so this passage is a fascinating passage for a number of reasons, but what's interesting is how this text captures a moment in history where the people who were experiencing the event, they were clueless as to what they were participating in. I've had similar experiences. I'm not sure if you have had similar experiences, but there's one in particular that always stands out above the rest. Now, something you might not know about me is that growing up and even still, I love romantic comedies. Like, that's just something I enjoy. Make fun of me if you want, that's fine. But I genuinely enjoy a good romantic comedy. In fact, there was this time my friends and I went to the movies. We were all planning on seeing the movie Deep Impact, which is... Um, a movie about a comet hitting the earth. It's like super intense. Um, anyway, we got to the theater and my buddy and I saw that You've Got Mail was also playing at the exact same time. So we changed our plans. But anyway, that's not really part of the story, but it offers some context for what I'm about to share. It was about a year or so later, and I think it was my girlfriend at the time, she suggested we watch the movie Life is Beautiful. Now the only thing I knew about the movie was that it was in Italian and I had to read subtitles. So we're watching the movie, it's great. If you've never seen it, you very quickly forget that you're reading subtitles. The actor, Robert, uh, Roberto Benini is hilarious. There's this beautiful love story that plays out and I'm in, right? Now remember, I literally knew nothing about this movie. And so I'm watching this thinking it's a romantic comedy. And as I shared, I love romantic comedies, but then all of a sudden, if you've seen the movie, what felt like out of nowhere, it turns into a movie about the Holocaust. And this was not a romantic comedy at all. Um, this was an incredibly sad drama that had me crying my eyes out. Why am I telling you this? What's the point? Well, first of all, I think it's funny. Maybe you don't, but... <laughs> but secondly, and more importantly, it helps to illustrate the events of what the scriptures refer to as the triumphal entry. What we're going to see play out as we work our way through this story is that there is a large group of people who are cheering and celebrating the arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem, believing that something like Braveheart or the Patriot is about to unfold before their eyes. But Jesus is living out and telling a very different story. One marked by the humility of a donkey and the shame of a cross. And what's so compelling about this story is that it is the story that we are called to pattern our entire existence after, both as a church and individually as followers of Jesus. So with that, let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 36. We will also have the text on the screen in, uh, behind me. And so the passage begins with this phrase in John 12, verse 12, the next day. And so to set the stage a little bit, Jesus had spent the night in Bethany with his good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Lazarus is the same guy who, who pretty, um, pretty shortly before these events transpired, Jesus raised him from the dead. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem, which is where everybody was going to celebrate the feast of the Passover. This next day would have probably been the Sunday before his crucifixion. And so this is why Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday, because we are remembering the events of Jesus' final week on earth before the resurrection. So let's take a look at these first couple of verses, verses 12 and 13. It says, The next day, 
The large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Text says that the large crowd that had come to the feast, to give you an idea of what we're looking at here, of what is meant by a large crowd, the Jewish historian Josephus, he described one Passover that took place about a generation before where something like 2.7 million people were in attendance. They were present in the city. That's an astronomical number. Right? That's an astronomical number. Um, and, and even if that is somewhat of hyperbole, one commentator notes that even if his numbers are inflated, the crowds are undoubtedly immense. To put this in perspective, as of 2021, active duty members of the United States Armed Forces is just over 2 million. And that's including the reserves and the Space Force. So that's interesting. No one else thought that? I, I'm just making my, I'm entertaining myself this morning. It's fine. Um, anyway, notice that it says that when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. What's going on here? A couple things. This phrase, Hosanna, it literally means give salvation now. So the Jewish people, they've been living under the rule and reign of foreign leaders for an extremely long time. And they were waiting for a Messiah to set them free. They're quoting Psalm 118, which for them was a source of hope for the Jewish people, awaiting their salvation, awaiting their Messiah or their king. And, and what's also interesting, the fact that they took branches of palm is really important because it was a reminder of an event that had happened just a generation before Jesus arrived on the scene. It was a nationalistic symbol commemorating the time when Simon Maccabeus or Maccabee drove Israel's enemies out of Jerusalem and the people celebrated by waving palm branches. And so we put these two things together and the expectation is that Jesus is about to do what Simon Maccabee did, only this time because these people knew about the signs and wonders that Jesus had performed Verses 17 and 18 say that the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had already heard that he had done this sign, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. This time, though, they're staring at the Messiah promised throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. To make a long story short, what the people are basically saying is Jesus is the Messiah, he's the King of Israel, and he's here to set us free from Rome. That's what they're crying out for. That's what they're excited about. But check out what happens in verses 14 through 17. It says this, And Jesus found a donkey, and he sat on it. Just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, they remembered that these things had been written about him had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd... No, right there. We'll stop there. Right? So picture the scene. There's upward of around 2 million people here. Now, maybe that's on the high side, so let's pretend it's half a million. And they're ready for revolution. That's what's going through their minds. They're calling for Jesus to be the next liberator of Israel. So they pick up these palm branches, 
Remember, these palm branches, they, they, they recall a time in history when a man rose up and, and defeated the enemies of Israel. So they pick up these palm branches as though they're picking up swords primed for battle. And Jesus, as he looks out over the crowd, he makes what one scholar refers to as the most important choice in human history, second only to the cross itself. He finds a donkey and he sits on it. In fact, a better way to transition from verse 13 to 14 is to use the word but rather than and. So we can read verses 13 through 14 like this. So they took branches of palm and went out to meet him, but Jesus found a donkey. They took branches of palm to go out and meet him, but Jesus found a donkey. In other words, they were armed for war, but Jesus was ushering in a kingdom of peace humility, and as we'll see in just a few minutes, even death. I'm reminded of those images from the 1960s where hippies would place flowers in the barrels of soldiers' rifles as they longed for the war to end. In verse 15, John is quoting from Zechariah 9. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to sit on a donkey's colt. And if you continue reading in Zechariah 9, it says that the, that the Lord will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. What's the point? What's going on here? Jesus wasn't coming to wage war against Rome. Nor was he coming to wage war against any earthly power, but rather... He was coming to wage war against the powers and authorities, against the devil himself, and he was coming to wage war against the patterns of this world, the patterns of violence, division, self-exaltation, the patterns of sin and death, and the manner in which he planned on fighting that war would be a shock to all of human history. Are we tracking with what's going on here? with what Jesus is doing. In sitting on a donkey's colt and not picking up the palm branches, he is saying, you have no idea what you are a part of right now. You have no idea why I'm here. You might have a clue as to who I am, but you really don't know me. You really don't know what I am about. I'm reminded of so much of, of, of evangelicalism in, in culture and how I think often we don't recognize the story that we are a part of. That we are not a part of the story picking up palm branches, picking up swords, but rather we are a part of the story who picks up a donkey, who finds a donkey to ride on. A story of humiliation, a story of peace, a story of grace, a story of mercy, a story of self-sacrificial love. That's the story of which we are a part or of which we ought to be a part. And that's what Jesus is putting forth right now in front of a crowd of at most two and a half million, 2.5 million. If we go a little lower, maybe half a million, right? But all the same, a lot of people, a lot of people. Let's, let's keep going. What's going on here? Text continues. Verse 20. It says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, so these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. 
Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So the text says that among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. We're most likely looking at what the Bible refers to as Gentiles. And these particular Gentiles, these these were non-Jewish people, they were either full-blown Jewish converts or they were what the scriptures refer to as God-fears, meaning they followed the God of Israel, but they weren't circumcised. They found Philip and told him that they wished to see Jesus. Now, at this point, who wouldn't want to see Jesus, right? He's raising people from the dead. The lame are walking. Blind people are seeing this is a wild thing, right? Like, this is like, like, Ringling Brothers is coming to town. Like, let's go. This is going to be sweet, right? Like, it's like, you got to check out the trapeze artist. Like, he's incredible. Like, that's kind of what this is about. But Jesus, when, 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 like, check this out. This is really actually kind of cool, right? Let's look at the next verse. I'm going to jump ahead. He says this in verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's his response to, hey, these guys want to see you. That's a strange response. It's confusing. Actually, throughout John's gospel, we see Jesus having strange responses all the time. And here's another one. He starts talking about farming. He starts talking about loving and hating your life. And finally, serving Jesus means following Jesus. And so, so I can imagine that these people, these, these Gentiles, these Greeks, are kind of like, what are you talking about? We just want to see you. We want to see you. What's the deal? Well, what's happening is that John is zooming in on these Greeks, these Gentiles, to help us understand more of what was going on in the minds of those who were cheering and waving those palm branches. They want to catch a glimpse of this man, Jesus, because they want to see the guy who raised a man from the dead, performed all sorts of miracles, and who in their mind was about to start a revolution. And so Jesus' reply, while seemingly irrelevant, It makes all the sense in the world. When Philip and Andrew relay to Jesus that these Greeks wish to see him, Jesus' reply is basically, are they sure about that? Are they sure they really want to see me? Because the light show, it's over. In fact, things are about to get extremely dark. If they want to see me, then they need to understand that seeing me is seeing death. There is no fruit bearing without the dying of a grain of wheat. If they want to see me, they better start holding on loosely to their lives. They better be willing to lose them because that's the only way they're going to attain eternal life. If they want to see me, they better be ready to follow, and where I am heading is a cross. Now, Redeemer, there's a theme building here. The Messiah that people were hoping for. The needs they thought they had that they believed this man Jesus was going to meet. This is not the man in front of them riding on a donkey speaking of death and losing one's life. They're in a different story than Jesus is. They're in a different scene than Jesus is. They're in a completely different world than Jesus is. Remember, you got 
upwards of maybe 2.5 million people calling for revolution. And Jesus doesn't hop on a war horse. Jesus doesn't say, let's go overtake Rome. Let's go get Jerusalem back. He rides in on a donkey. He rides in on a donkey. That's borderline pathetic, right? That is borderline pathetic. But it doesn't stop there. Check it out, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus says that his soul is troubled. Now to help us wrap our minds around this statement, throughout the scriptures, this word has been translated in the following ways. Greatly disturbed, fearful, confused, languishing, revulsion, agitated, and even anxiety-ridden. And this hour that's being referred to is the hour of his death that we see talked about throughout John's gospel. What's the point? Jesus is wrestling with the path before him, the path leading to the cross, the path leading to his death. This is one of those moments where the humanity of Jesus jumps off the page, where passages like Hebrews 14 come to life, that we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. If you've seen the commercials, he gets us, right? That's what's going on here. He knows what's coming down the pike, and he does not necessarily want to jump in. But in the same breath, he also utters the words, What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. In other words, I'm scared, confused, overwhelmed, but this is exactly why I came, and there is no turning back. You catch that? Text keeps going, verses 29 and following. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowds answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Right? The crowd heard the voice of the Father speaking, but they clearly can't understand what's actually being said. Some even thought it was thunder. Jesus says that the voice was for the sake of the crowd. In other words, the curtain between heaven and earth was drawn back a bit to give an understanding that what was going on was otherworldly. But then Jesus says something profound. He said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is teaching the crowds. Let's remember, there's a lot of people there. A lot of people. The first thing he's teaching them, that while the cross might appear as a judgment upon Christ, it is in fact a judgment upon the world, demonstrating to all of us that we are a murderous people deserving of judgment ourselves, a judgment that Christ is taking upon himself so that we might go free. Second thing he's he's teaching us is that while his death might appear to be a triumph of evil, 
It is in fact the means by which Satan is being dethroned as the ruler of this world. And the third thing he's teaching us, that through his death and resurrection, being lifted up, he will take his rightful place upon the throne and draw all people to himself. All people meaning Jewish, Gentile, rich, poor, any sort of category distinction we can possibly think of, Jesus is drawing into his kingdom by the blood of the cross. That's what is going on here. That's what's going on in this text. That's what he is challenging us with, that no one is cast out if they come to Christ. Like, no one is cast out if they come to Christ. No one. Whatever group of people is coming to your mind right now, they're welcome to the table. Right? See, that's the beauty about the Christian faith is that we, if we are practicing it correctly, if we are actually reading this book in the way it ought to be read, that we, we, are, we are opened to every single type of person. That's the good news of the gospel, that the dividing wall of hostility that separates people, that's obliterated at the cross, it's obliterated at the cross. That's really good news, Redeemer Fellowship. That's really good news. And the question is, is, is do we believe that? Well, the crowd didn't. The crowd didn't believe that. They were hoping for something different. They respond to all this in verse 34. The crowd answered, we heard from the law from the words of Moses, that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Like, that's how you have to read it. Like, who are you, bro? Because that's not what we read about. We have to hear what they're saying. And in fact, I think they're starting to fully grasp what Jesus is getting at. They grab palms, but Jesus finds a donkey. The Greeks were looking for a light show. Jesus tells them to hate their lives. They heard the voice of God, and Jesus tells them he's being lifted up to die. What kind of son of man are you supposed to be? And what kind of Messiah sees a crowd of two million ready to rain down revolution upon the Roman Empire and chooses the donkey over the palms and garden tools over guns? Like, that's what's going through their minds. Like, who are you, bro? Do you not see? We're ready to go. Like, we are armed. Let's have at it. And if you notice in the text, if, if you jump all the way back to verse 13, so they took branches of palm trees and Jesus found a donkey. Like, Jesus isn't the one that's saying, hey, pick up palms. Jesus isn't the one saying, like, this is, this is great, palms. Like, I know we gave out palms. And I hope we had enough, right? Because they're fun. And if we didn't, I apologize. Next year we'll order more. But the point is, is that we call this day Palm Sunday, but, but maybe, maybe we should start referring to it as Donkey Sunday. And, and that's funny, but, but the point is that the palms really, are, we're missing the point with the palms. Because the palms really are this call for war when Jesus is saying, nope. That's not the road I'm taking that's not the gospel I'm preaching. What kind of son of man are you? What kind of son of man who has access to one of the greatest 
military strengths right now in, in front of them, millions of people ready to go, and just says, nah, I'm going with the donkey. I thought I was watching a romantic comedy when I was really watching a movie about the Holocaust. And this group, they thought William Wallace was riding into town, and what they got was what we might describe as a peace-loving hippie. But what they didn't understand, what they didn't get, was that Rome wasn't the real enemy, but rather the enemy was their sin and the devil himself. And the weapons of this world, violence, revolution, pride, bloodshed, they only fuel the enemy. They only fuel the enemy. But love, self-sacrifice, humility, those things, they crush the enemy to pieces because those things are of God. That's, that's what Christianity is, Redeemer Fellowship. That's what we believe. We are not a warmongering people. Some have, have misunderstood this call to Christianity. That is not what the scriptures call us to. We are called to be a people of humility, of grace, of compassion, of peace, of love, and the sort of love that is willing to die so that others might go free. That's the kind of people we are. The sort of love that, that, that calls us to, to love our enemies and to pray for them, to love our enemies. And we're not, we're not too good at that. We, we want to we rain down terror upon our enemies. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You need to sit on a donkey. Put the palms down. Put the swords down. Put the pride down. Lay it all aside. That is not our story. That is the story of the enemy. That is the story of the patterns of this world that we have so been shaped by. Every single one of us have been so shaped by that pattern. And God is calling us to something different, to an alternate path, to a different story to be marked by. A story of love, a story of grace, a story of compassion and humility. I don't have a lot more to say this morning because we do have a lot going on. But perhaps you're here this morning and you're frustrated. Perhaps you're angry. Maybe you're even angry with God. I've been angry with God before. Maybe you entrusted yourself to Christ a long time ago and you didn't get the life you were hoping for as a result. Maybe you thought following Jesus meant that your marriage would have lasted or your kids would have been a certain way. Maybe you thought that if you gave your life to Christ, you wouldn't have lost that loved one. And maybe you thought you wouldn't have gotten that cancer. Maybe we were grasping for palm branches when we should have been looking for a donkey. Maybe you're here and you're angry with the state of this world, frustrated about politics, about the direction the country is going in. Maybe your anger has caused you to hate those on the other side of some political barrier, to mock and tear them down, those who believe different from you. Maybe you're grasping for palm branches when you should be looking for a donkey embodying peace, demonstrating love. Maybe you're here and you are utterly lost, without hope. Maybe someone invited you because they were getting baptized. Or maybe you just found yourself here this morning. Maybe the world and all of its brokenness is finally starting to wear on you. 
Maybe you are beginning to see that the enemy is within you and that your sin and your pride has separated from you from Almighty God. Well, instead of grasping for a palm branch, Jesus, the Son of God, found a donkey and ultimately a cross. And he laid his life down, providing us with the forgiveness of our sins so that we might go free. This is true. This is good news. Redeemer Fellowship, those of you who are visiting with us, this is the story of the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he does not promise us that this world is going to offer any sort of, of, of wonder or joy, but he does offer life in his name, and he offers us a different path to take, one by which we might demonstrate the love and compassion of Almighty God to a world around us, a world that is desperately in need of it. Because I don't know if you've noticed, there's a whole lot of division out there. There's a whole lot of anger out there. And, and everybody's picking up palm branches. But Jesus is calling us to follow him. He's calling us to follow him. And what he did was he found a donkey. We have to wrap our minds around that Redeemer Fellowship. That is what is this whole thing that we call Christianity is about. It's about the humility of Christ. And, and Paul calls us to have this mind. This mind of Jesus, who because he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to exploit for his own gain. He made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, of a slave. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because that's who God is. And that's what he's calling us to. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did not strike us down the moment we fumbled the ball. No, he moved towards us in kindness, in patience. He died on a cross. He rose again three days later. He ascended to his father, and he's calling us to himself. All types of people, every single one of us. He says, come, come. All who are weary and heavy laden, come, all who are overwhelmed, all who are angry, bitter, scared, come, come to the cross, come to Jesus, experience the forgiveness that we can have in him. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what Palm Sunday is about. And so I'm gonna pray for us, and then we are gonna transition into a time of communion. But let's go before the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you that you did not come to us in violence, that you did not come to us in wrath, but you came to us and you bore our sins on a cross, Father. I pray that those of us who are far from you would come to you and trust ourselves to you, Lord God those of us who maybe misunderstood what this whole thing was about, that we would repent and come to you, Father. Lord God, we love you with all of our hearts. You are our king and you are a good king, Lord. 
Be with us now. In Christ's name, amen.